This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between the student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work at garnetmedia.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of 1801 Live. I'm Emily Dangler, your student body vice president, and today I am joined by some very, very special guests, President Pastides and Mrs. Moore Pastides. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be with you, Emily. We're very excited you're here. So I wanted to kind of start off today's podcast. If you guys could talk a little bit about your history at USC, I know Everyone knows you're the first family and you live in the beautiful house in the horseshoe, but they don't know that you've been here for a while. So do you want to talk a little bit about your background at USC? Well, I'd be happy to start and Patricia will uh, correct me everything I'm wrong and uh, fill in. (laughs) You're never wrong, dear. We we were very very happy uh, in 1998. I was a professor and a department chair person at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, uh, but I'd been nominated for uh, a job as dean of what was then called the School of Public Health at USC. And I really didn't know the South very much, uh, but, you know, a deanship is a, it's a good job. And, and uh, I thought they were making an investment in public health. I came down here, we visited. Uh, it was a difficult family decision because we had a daughter, uh, uh, as a senior, about to be a senior in high school and a son as a middle schooler, but we made the family decision and came in 1998 when some of your listeners weren't yet born, uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, and, um, and uh, fell in love with the place, really. And I could give a million different reasons uh, for that, but uh, Dean of Public Health, then I became the Vice President for Research and Health Sciences And then exactly 10 years later, on August 1st, 2008, we were elected uh, the 28th president and first lady of the university. So that's a long time. That's a half career. We've been at South Carolina now. And Patricia, I don't know if you wanted to add anything there. Um, Maybe just to fill in that, you know, never having lived outside of the Northeast, we didn't know what it was gonna be like to come to South Carolina. And we were met with the warmest welcome, the most wonderful, outgoing, friendly community at this university. It was something that people were thanking us for coming to South Carolina. And we were so excited. Um, I think it really, we really felt that Southern hospitality right from day one. And then also the climate was so nice that we were only here maybe five weeks. And I said to Harris, do you know something? I never want to go back. (laughs) I loved waking up to the sunshine every single day. And actually the first two years that we lived in South Carolina were a drought and it literally never rained for two years. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. (laughs) But, well, um, I, would, I would add a little levity there and say we were also met by the warmest temperature we'd ever experienced yeah, in August, uh, you know, 100 degrees every day and humid. I'm not sure I like the weather right off the bat. Now, by the time November hit, I was really happy with the weather. Yeah. That's when the weather gets perfect. I feel like a lot of being from Pennsylvania, a lot of us outside of 
South Carolina students have the same experience when you come in, just getting here and being a little nervous. Like you have never been in the South before, but being met by all the warmness of the campus and the people and the community, it's such an amazing experience to go through. So I definitely relate on that level. So my next question for specifically for you, President Pastides, is why exactly did you want to become the president of the university? I think a lot of people think it's a scary job, like your name's all up in there. You're in charge of this huge university. So what kind of was the driving factor behind you and what was your why behind the position? I think, Emily, my answer is the same as it has always been when offered new opportunity. It's to have greater impact. So um, as a, for example, department chair, I had greater impact over the students in the department than I did as a professor, as a dean, a broader audience, as a vice president, but really as a president, you can uh, have greater impact. So uh, things we did, we grew enrollment, for example, we uh, improved and invested in the honors college and the business school and a million different things in athletics. Um, now, with that comes responsibility, and it is scary. It is absolutely scary. Uh, I once uh, spelled Williams Bryce incorrectly in a tweet. Um, at the time, I spelled it B-R-Y-C-E instead of B-R-I-C-E, because I'd known someone named Bryce and was with a Y. And boy, the ridicule, I think. I can only imagine. Immediate. Oh, very, you know, big, smart president who can't even spell his own, you know, football stadium. So with impact comes responsibility and sometimes uh, pain, a little pain and suffering. But by and large, I've loved the impact that I've been able to have on generations of students like you. And so that that would be that's the why part. You're right. So kind of going off that question, and I would love for both of you to answer this because I think you'll both have very different answers, but during your time here, what is something that you have done that you would say you are the most proud of? I feel like it's a tough question, so you can think on it, but. You know, um, I'm like such an in the moment person. The thing I'm most proud of is the most recent thing that just happened. You know, that that's how I kind of, uh, I sort of don't, I worked in a Catholic uh, healthcare system in Massachusetts, and the sisters would always say, don't rest on your laurels, but press on. So, you know, you don't like hang on to like all your accomplishments, you just keep going forward. But I will just say that yesterday was the conclusion of my cooking class for this spring term. And I had 20 of the 26 students come to the house for lunch and a tour. And it was so gratifying to sit with them and get to know them a little bit better. The course was offered asynchronously online. So, you know, we saw one another's picture. They saw me lecture online. They watched my cooking demonstrations. But to meet each other in person was really wonderful. And to hear that they enjoyed the class, that they learned something about cooking, Cooking. They learned something about selecting healthful foods. I just felt like you know, the majority of them are seniors that I'm, I feel, I felt so happy that they were launching with this, you know, kind of newfound life skill for many of them, you know, and it just made yeah, me feel like, okay, that was a really good contribution that I made to this class of students, you know. That's so great that you got to meet all of them in person. I feel like 
you miss out on that like interaction with like your professors when having online classes. So that's so great that they had the opportunity. For those of you listening who don't know, I actually took a cooking class with Mrs. Pastides. Best cooking class of my life. I think I'm a good cook now. We made a delicious <laughs> meal. It was so much fun. Oh, thank you. And uh, Emily, I'll, I'll just quickly mention three things um, that I'm proud of. There are many, many. Uh, one is to uh, launch and complete a billion dollar capital campaign. Now your listeners just think of how many people have to give and what amounts they have to give to raise a billion dollars. But the impact is that most of that money went into student financial aid. Now I know there's still not enough. Your listeners are saying, hey, I didn't get much of that. But in any event, uh, that was a phenomenal undertaking. Uh, nobody in this state, not no person, but no institution had ever raised that amount of money uh, up to that point. Very proud of that. Number two, some of the health things we've done of all the buildings we've built, and I could mention many of them. Our health center is one that I'm particularly proud of. Uh, our no smoking uh, or tobacco-free policy was very difficult, Emily. There was a lot of opposition about that. Now, the students today would say, hey, everywhere is tobacco-free, but not at the time we went ahead and did that. Uh, we thought it was the right thing to do, and it's a point of pride. But the third thing is jumping out of a plane with the Gamecock skydiving team. <laughs> um, it happened early in the presidency, and some skydivers came and gave me a T-shirt, uh, with my name on it, Pastides, it said Gamecock, Skydivers, you know, uh, Dive Farther or whatever it said. And on one fine day in April, they drove me up to Chester, um, tied me up. No, they didn't tie me up, but they suited <laughs> me up to a parachute uh, and uh, put me on an old rickety plane. And we went uh, the appropriate, uh, I can't remember anymore how many thousand feet up. Uh, it was, and uh, clipped me to a tandem diver, opened the door. You can imagine what you feel like for the first time when you're on a plane up really high, and you could see Charlotte in the distance. You could see Columbia, and the pilot says, open the door now, and it's this big garage door, and, and then you sit down with your feet dangling out the plane, and I turned around to ask what I was supposed to do, and my tandem diver just pushes me and we go tumbling out the plane and oh my uh, goodness <laughs> I don't think I would have ever done that but for uh, students who it wasn't really a dare but when I told them how frightened I was at the prospect they said that's why conquer a fear do it conquer a fear so I'm really proud that I did that going skydiving has something that's always been on my bucket list I've talked a lot about it with my dad we've always talked about going together one day so since it's something you're proud of, maybe it's a, a sign that I should do it soon. <laughs> I recommend it. Mrs. Passies, no skydiving for you. <laughs> well, actually, I think that when Harris got done, he told the students next time I was going to go along. And I said, now, listen, you can volunteer me for a lot of things, but I don't think you should volunteer me for something like that. Just hearing the story makes my toes tingle and my stomach flip upside down. I mean, I suppose if push came to shove, I could do it. 
but do I really want to? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> if push bit. came to them shoving you off the plane, you'd have right. to. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking I wouldn't parasail, you know, years ago when we went to Mexico and uh, I was afraid of the landing because we, were, we weren't landing in the water, we were landing on the beach and I had had some back issues. So I was a little worried about that. But boy, when I did it and I was up in the air on that parasail thing, I felt like it was a prayer. You know, it was like you're looking down at the whole world. It was just beautiful. So parasailing so beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah, it's really I good. took a camera up with me and it's some of my favorite pictures that I've ever taken. You can I feel like you can see like the water till there's like no end. Right, right. It's just it's very gratifying. So if you never did it, you'd never see that. So exactly. So the next question I have for you guys is you definitely have a lot of probably of your different favorite memories you've had on campus here. Do you want to touch on a couple of those and just tell our listeners some great stories that you have? <laughs> well, I know uh, Patricia probably can predict mine, but it would be uh, Valentine's Day uh, in 2014. We were expecting snow in Columbia and uh, they said four inches. And uh, sure enough, uh, late in the evening, 10, 11 p.m., it started snowing. And I heard a commotion out on the horseshoe and I uh, tiptoed over to the big, beautiful picture windows. And sure enough, it was snowing pretty hard. And you could see all the Southern kids, they were uh, trying to scrape little amounts of snow and make a tiny little snowball. And the Northern kids were like, huh. But by midnight or one in the morning, it was, there was an inch or two on the horseshoe and there was a big snowball fight going on. Very disorganized. Nobody knew what team they were on. They were just flinging snowballs at anybody around them. And uh, that was beautiful. Someone spotted me in the picture window on the second floor and I thought they were going to start throwing snowballs at beautiful <laughs> precious glass. So I quickly turned the light off and crawled back to bed. But that was a phenomenal memory to see the beauty that a simple thing like nature, nature's snow could bring. It was, I mean, it was, they were ebullient, uh, the students, they were so excited by that. So that's one of my favorite memories of many, many others, including athletic events. But Patricia, maybe you can go next. Um, a lot of times people think that it must be really hard to sleep on the horseshoe, you know, living close so close to all the, a lot of the dormitories and students coming and going and everything. And it really is pretty quiet, believe it or not. But this one night when we beat Duke in men's basketball up in Greenville, I stayed, we, we had to divide and conquer because the same night we had, I believe it was a a dance gala, a women's basketball game, both going on in Columbia, and then the men's basketball game going on up in Greenville. So Harris went to Greenville for the men. I, I got dressed up and went to the dance gala, and then from there went to the basket, women's basketball game in some kind of elegant dress. Like people <laughs> are probably thinking, what happened to her now? You know, Our first lady's gone off the deep end. But anyway, I got home and you know, I, after the game, I, we had won, of course, and um, got ready for bed, climbed into bed, read a little bit, started dozing. 
And all of a sudden I heard what sounded like a stampede of elephants or something. And I looked out the window from the bedroom and I could see hundreds upon hundreds of students running onto the horseshoe toward the Maxi Monument. Then I went into the ballroom where Harris was when he was watching the snowball fight. And I saw all the students starting to climb up on the monument and they started chanting, cancel classes, cancel classes. <laughs> so happy that we beat Duke in men's basketball. So Her I called Harris on the cell phone. He was on his way home from Greenville. And I said, you better get here fast because the natives are restless. The students are out for you. Ready they to want go. class canceled. so funny. <laughs> But, um, and then you can tell the rest, Harris, when you did get home by then, they had moved over to the Thomas Cooper Library area where the um, reflecting pool is. And they were all in there and they were goading him to get in with them. I, I didn't go in because there are certain lines you probably shouldn't cross as president. Uh, yeah. Although I was tempted. I really was tempted <laughs> to be exactly like them and to celebrate. And we didn't cancel class, but later on when we won the national championship, the women's basketball team, we did. So they, they got their way. So a lot of students are hoping this year we might have another women's basketball championship win. I know I'm hoping. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about that day and how exciting that was for the campus for students who weren't here at the time? Well, um, you know, uh, really national championships in a major sport don't come often. They come once in a while. And that was a phenomenal uh, season because the men and the women were in, both in the final four. And that happens extremely rarely. It has happened before, never here, but it has happened only rarely around the country. So we flew everywhere. We went, as Patricia said, Greenville and Columbia the women went to Stockton, California. The men went to Madison Square Garden in New York City, won every game. The women then went to San Antonio, Texas. The men went to Phoenix, Arizona. We went to every game, shuttling back and forth, flying. And uh, although the men uh, did lose to Gundaga uh, in the semifinal game, they were in the final four. The women uh, beat everybody. And that was the year that Mississippi State beat UConn. And so we were uh, really happy about that. And then when we won it all and helping cut down the net and uh, Asia Wilson and all the players and Coach Staley, we, I mean, we're a little spoiled, Emily. I, I not only <laughs> want that again, I think we can do that again. So we are going this weekend to Nashville to the SEC tournament. Uh, and we already have our tickets to the final four. In Minneapolis, Minnesota, Minnesota yeah. right? Minneapolis, Minnesota. And people say, what if they don't make it that far? I say, oh, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. <laughs> and so no, really, it's an exciting time to be a Gamecock. It is. It really is. Any other really great memories that you can think of that are maybe your favorites? Um, I have several. I remember um, when we celebrated the 50th anniversary of desegregation of the modern camp, the modern University of South Carolina. Um, and we had, you know, the, the three students who were the first to desegregate came back. Well, two of them came back. One of them was deceased, but his girlfriend came and he and she brought the hat that he always wore. So 
one of the other gentlemen wore the hat of the one who was deceased. So it felt like at least there was representation of the three students. And, and we had a lot of events for that whole year, but that day, which was September 11th, I think it was 1987 Harris. I mean, not 87, um, 20, what, what year was it? The 50th would have yeah. been 2013. Oh, 2013. That's right. That's right. And we had a lunch at the house and Harris asked me if I could give an invocation for the lunch. And I found this really lovely prayer about believing in new beginnings. And so I got to offer that. And, and that, that was really a wonderful moment for me because, it, you know, I searched long and hard to find something that would have meaning for everybody. And I think it, it was a really, it was right on target and it was a great day to celebrate that. And that's a very special moment. I love that. It was. It was really poignant in a way. Many, many, many other, you know, times, uh, speakers, Supreme Court justices in particular, um, who debated uh, at the law school, um, uh, other uh, great uh, musicians, uh, James Taylor and uh, Elton John and, and so many other great uh, concerts that we had. Uh, winning back-to-back -back baseball championships are uh, great uh, memories. Um, I have a man cave in our uh, home. It used to be at the president's house, but since we came back for a shorter period, it wasn't really convenient to bring it all. Um, partly I'm embarrassed by it because it's so rich. I have probably as many rings, as many uh, championship rings as any president in the United States. Uh, Ray Tanner, Director Tanner says that is true. Um, uh, every one of them a joy, equestrian, women's soccer, basketball, basketball, football, many. We beat Clemson five times in a row. We won many bowl games, everyone eligible for a great ring. And um, I feel a little guilty or even embarrassed because I, <laughs> I didn't compete. And uh, other than being a good fan, I probably didn't deserve a ring, but I was not turning, not turning them back. <laughs> That's great. Speaking of um, bowl games, President Pastiz, I would have liked to see you get the mayo at the, at the <laughs> bowl. <laughs> Emily, we were in the locker room with Coach Beamer, and uh, <clears throat> and he smelled really bad. <laughs> He had funky hair. Let me tell you, mayonnaise on a sweaty guy uh, in a locker room did not go over very well. By the way, we were together last evening uh, in Hilton Head, Darius Rucker. Uh, it was a Darius Rucker uh, Women's Golf Invitational 10th anniversary, and uh, Darius uh, performed a private concert for the women's golf teams from 17 universities. Coach Beamer was there, so just a powerful and joyful event. Darius Rucker, you can't overstate uh, what, what his enthusiasm for the Gamecock Nation really means. And uh, we had a good time together. That sounds like a great event. Uh, it was. A, a live concert by Darius Rucker? Mm -hmm. Private concert with just a few hundred people in, the, uh, in, in this tiny, tiny little uh, uh, auditorium. It was great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, I got to go in the locker room after the bowl game. And one of the things that impressed me the most was that um, Coach Beamer had asked.
listeners to share their thoughts with the rest of the team. And honestly, I mean, I almost started crying because it was so precious that, the, you know, you could see that they were bonded as a brotherhood. You know, they, they cared so deeply for one another and they said, you know, this does not end here. Our relationship is started on this team, but it won't end on this team. And we're going to be lifelong friends and compatriots. And, oh, they had such nice words, the seniors for the rest of the team. And I thought, you know, that, that's a beautiful thing. That's so sweet. Looking back on like my senior year so far, being at that game is probably one of my favorite memories of senior year. It was just, it was so much fun. I was like in the student section surrounded by students. We had a great time. It was so exciting. And I think they, a lot of, since several of the kind of what you might call the first string players weren't there or weren't able to play, then I think the the next line, you know, of players really had something to prove and they came out with so much energy and they were so good right from the beginning, you know, it was so, that was like, I mean, those are the really fun games to watch, right? When you're kind of on a roll right from the start. It, I know, didn't even it, mind that it was raining in the beginning. I was just, I was like, we're doing good. The rain can stay if that helps us. <laughs> yeah, it was really so exciting and fun. You're right. It's an exciting time for Gamecock football. Coach Beamer is amazing, an amazing person. And I think our team is going to do really well. It's, ex- it's an, You guys probably feel this too. It's an exciting time to be not at the university anymore, but being like an alumni and being away, you can still feel connected through sports and through our sports teams and through other things. And I think it'll be super exciting to come back for games and watch our team and really support from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're going to be in contention uh, for a long time, year after year, to win the uh, SEC East, for example. Um, You know, there are other powerhouses, but I think we stand a really good chance. So it'll be to come back not only to see your friends and have a good time, but to really hope and expect to win. So I think we're in for a a good long run. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. So, President Passes, I have a question for you. This one is actually coming from my mom who is a huge fan of your Mini Cooper rides. What, besides your Mini Cooper ride with me, because obviously that was the best one, what, what would you say is your favorite Mini Cooper ride and how have you enjoyed that experience? Really, really hard question. Uh, by the way, I took one the other day, no one has seen it yet, uh, with President-elect Amaritas. And that will be a good one to watch. That will be a good one to watch as we ride around town and reminisce and talk about the future. But I would have to look at a couple, Don Staley, Asia Wilson, and Darius Rucker. Those are some epic people. (laughs) People, but not only because they're epic, but because Asia, for example, mimicked Don Staley uh, in a locker room at halftime when they used to play halves, by the way, rather than quarters, uh, when they weren't doing well. And she said something like, Don, Don, Don. She would uh, roll roll up the papers and she would be talking to us like, come on now, you know. And oh my gosh, it was so funny. Uh, it was so funny to uh, watch her mimic uh, Dawn. Um, I would ask uh, Asia and Dawn what they listened to, if they were on Spotify or Sirius or whatever they were doing. And it was great. And Asia started dancing. 
Uh, but Darius was a personal favorite because we were uh, riding along in a golf cart, by the way, with the Mini Cooper around. And uh, I challenged him to a little putting contest. And he's a great golfer and I'm not. <laughs> Yet in one time with a 12 foot putt, he needed two shots to sink it. And I needed only one. And ah. he kind of fell to the floor in disbelief. And he's also so competitive. You know, he wanted best out of three. And I said, nope, it was just best shot. You're taking your win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He also told us how he was a student uh, here. Uh, and he was uh, 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 singing in the shower one day in a dormitory uh, that doesn't exist anymore. It was so bad that we blew it up and put the honors college residence hall there, by the way. Uh, and uh, and uh, Mark Bryan, another member of Hootie, was shaving and he liked how Darius sounded. And he said, hey man, I'm, <clears throat> I'm thinking of putting the band together. Do you want to join me? And then they started playing at five points and they were playing for a few bucks that people would put in the jug. And then they uh, came out, they cut a record and it was called, uh, I think, uh, Cracked Rearview Mirror. And that became one of the hottest selling albums of all time. And that was the beginning of Hootie and the Blowfish right here in Columbia, uh, South Carolina. I loved when he told us that story. Have you guys heard of the student band here called Bull Street Garage? No, I haven't. It's a band of students. They named their band after Bull Street Garage. And they're really good. I have friends in the band. Daily Gamecock just wrote an article about them. But I'm hoping they're the next Foodie and the Blowfish. Imagine if Bull Street Garage was everywhere. <laughs> well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll help promote them. But first, you have to send me a, a link or YouTube so I can hear them. And then maybe I'll tweet. I'll send you a link. They just they just dropped their new album, so I'll send I'll send you an email after this with the link. You can you should give it a listen. Bull Street Garage. I'm there. <laughs> so, Mrs. Pastidis, question for you now. You know, as a, as you are a professor of cooking, lots of college students have no idea where to start or what to make. Do you have any? tips or what you think is really easy for college students to make? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think about easy, but I also think about healthy. So it's easy to take a frozen pizza and pop it in the oven, but it may not be the healthiest choice. So I like the idea of oven roasted vegetables. Ooh. You know, all you really need is a baking sheet and you can take any kind of vegetable that you like and just cut it up and rub a little olive oil all over it with your nice clean hands, right? Get them all coated in olive oil and put them in a hot oven, like 400 degrees for only about 20 or 25 minutes. And you would have a nice delicious tray of mixed vegetables. And you know, you could add beans to that if you needed to have a little protein or you could have a boneless chicken breast or something like that on the side. But you know, having eating the rainbow of vegetables is so healthful. And, you know, every single different color in the vegetable world has a different sort of phytonutrient. So they're all things that the body needs. And there are a lot of times they're things that we don't get when we keep choosing pizza, hamburger, 
fried chicken, French fries, you know, I'm trying to, I would hope that students would break out of that mold, you know, and try um, at least maybe begin with the salad bar and move into some other, you know, more exotic vegetable dishes. And, and I, I have heard students really think the salads are good on campus, you know, that you have access to a lot of nice salads, but they're not always 100% in favor of the dressings. And one of my favorite dressings is really simple Greek one with just extra virgin olive oil, lemon juice, dried oregano, salt and pepper. And you can make up a little jar of that and even have it in your backpack. You know, so if you're picking, if you bring you're your own salad, that's how she got your own dressing, give it a shake. And, and you know that it doesn't have a lot of preservatives in it or, or even, you know, so much sodium, a lot of the processed um, prepared salad dressings have a lot of sodium and then also a lot of sugar. Sometimes they even have corn syrup in them, which you really don't want. So I would say, you know, focus on whole foods, mm -hmm. eating whole vegetables and whole fruits, as opposed to drinking juices is really good. And the other thing I think of that's really easy is nuts for a snack. You know, we're always looking for something to eat on the run and you can get nuts made into bars, but usually they're so sweet. And, you know, and if you just have yeah. regular nuts that are just dry roasted, so they haven't added any extra oil into them because there's good fat in nuts that, you know, just on their own, you don't have to have them roasted in palm oil or something like that. Um, you know, that's a great satisfying snack and a good source of protein too. So- Another question for you. I feel like I hear this debate a lot in the health world. What is your opinion on red meat and eating a lot of red meat? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I've never been a big fan of a lot of red meat. Um, in the old days, we felt like saturated fat was very bad for heart health. And, you know, um, I think I think it still holds true today that it's not your it's not a choice that you want to make every single day. And if you want to, if you want to have red meat, I think it's really important to try to buy grass fed animals, you know, that are out free range animals eating grasses for a couple of reasons. One reason is that the commercially raised ones that are kept in feedlots are felt fed a lot of grains and they are actually 500% more saturated fat than free range cows, which is, is an incredible that's, that's an insane fat. number. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one good reason. And the second one is that when they're eating grasses, like when the cows are eating grass, they're um, eating omega-3s. So then when you have the hamburger or the steak or whatever, you're actually getting some omega-3s, which are really important for your heart health, your brain health, and your emotional health. And, and most of the places that you get omega-3s omega from in concentration are your oily fishes like salmon or halibut or mackerel, things like that, tuna. Um, those are good sources flax seeds and walnuts and dark green leafy vegetables are also good. But, you know, if you're eating only commercially raised beef, you're not getting any omega-3s. Whereas, you know, those of us who grew up in another time when all the cows were grass fed, we got a lot of omega-3s by having our hamburgers. So you have to, you, you guys in your time of life and in what's going on with the way food, the food supply is being raised, you have to pay attention to getting the right amount of the different fats. 
Perfect. Great tips. Thanks for that. Everyone listening, now you know, we're going to be healthy college students. It's hard to get there, but everybody can get there. So my next question is for you guys is, what's next once you retire? What you're probably going to want to enjoy some time, relax, but what's next for you guys? Well, I'll, I'll remain active. Hopefully, um, you know, the President Amaritis will occasionally uh, need or ask for advice, so I'll always be there for that. Uh, Patricia and I will have uh, offices uh, in the Barringer House, which is right near the Capstone Building, uh, on the second floor above the Anne Frank uh, Center, and I'll continue to help uh, <clears throat> raise money for them as well as for the new South Carolina uh, Civil Rights uh, Center. Um, but definitely more time, you know, definitely more time. The one thing, the one thing that's hard is when you're juggling all the time, it's hard to be focused. You get distracted, you get fatigued, you can't remember things. So I'm looking forward to having like, like eight things on my plate rather than 108. <laughs> People think, you know, oh, he wants one or two things. No, I'm, I'm much too active for that. But, uh, you know, about eight things that I could uh, hope to do. Uh, and, uh, and also work on being a better husband, a better father and grandfather, a better friend, uh, travel more. I think on my travel docket will be New Zealand. I would love to go there. Uh, we would like to go back to Ireland. We're going to the Greek islands this summer, uh, COVID permitting. And uh, so I can't wait for that. And uh, take a book that I want to read rather than take a, you know, a, a, a binder as I usually do when we travel, you know, do a million things, but try to get, get in closer touch with myself. I think that sounds great. What about you, Mrs. Pastides? Well, I concur with the uh, focusing on the family a little bit more. I'll try to be a better wife. I just heard Harris commit to being a better husband. So I <laughs> always improve too. So you're not alone there. But, you know, spending a little bit more time with our family members. Uh, my mom is 92. She's the last of our parents who's still living. So I'd like to have more time to spend with her. She lives up in Connecticut. And then we have um, a son and daughter-in-law and one-year-old grandson in New York City. And then oh. a daughter and son-in-law and two granddaughters in Lexington, Kentucky. So, you know, um, that it takes time to, you know, you know have enough time to spend with everybody. And, and that's nice. It's nice to be able to put them front and center of our lives. I've really enjoyed the poetry initiative. And I can, I hope to continue writing poetry. And if there's an interest on campus, I'd love to remain involved with some pop-up poetry readings or poetry writing workshops or that kind of thing. I hope to teach my class again, Introduction to Healthy Mediterranean Cooking. That would be next spring. But in the fall, I'm gonna, I've already on the docket to teach um, a dietary inflammation class with James A. Bear, who's the nutritional epidemiologist and has a new book coming out on the effects of inflammation in the body and how you can mitigate or help those with um, your diet. So he's going to teach the science and I'm gonna do the cooking parts of it. It's a one time a week, every Wednesday for the Honors College. And I'm told it's already full. So I'm excited to hear I was going to say, I might have to take a fifth year so I can take that class. <laughs> well, I'm hoping to learn a lot more from James. He's brilliant. And he's done a lot of research 
on inflammation, which is associated with everything that makes us sick as Americans, pretty much all the way, you know, from brain health and Alzheimer's and dementia to heart health, to joint pain and everything. So it'll be exciting for me to, you know, I'll, I'll be a student of James at the same time that I'm helping the students cook. So that'll be you get fun. to learn and teach. It's the best of both worlds. <laughs> it is, it is definitely. We want to be a lifelong learner. And then um, when we were retired last time, I started teaching myself piano and I sort of got the right hand melody to one song down and I have to learn left hand. <laughs> so maybe I, maybe in the next like six months, six to nine months, I can figure out the left hand and put it all together before you Right. <laughs> well, perfect. I guess the one last thing I have for you guys, is there anything um, advice or anything in general you want to say to any students listening? Well, I will uh, give you a little preview of my e-blast that's coming out tomorrow, I hope, but before spring break. And it really talks about, it's probably for seniors in particular, Emily, uh, uh, who are a little worried about leaving college. And uh, I tell them how, while it's true, there's no other time like college and or even youth that I personally have enjoyed every phase of my life. And that if they, you know, work at it, uh, that's how it will be for them as well. Uh, the first year post-college, whether you're in uh, working uh, for Boeing or you're in dental school, um, kind of like being a freshman all over again. <clears throat> a little fear, a little uh, excitement, uh, a little letdown. You know, in freshman year in college, you miss friends and family and food from back home, uh, but, uh, but it'll work out and always uh, strive to be the best that you can. Uh, that's usually good enough for a Gamecock, it is anyway, who are great at many things. And so uh, that's what I would tell students. So we are also leaving with the seniors. Uh, it'll be our last commencement. It'll be sentimental and special. Uh, and if there is a tear shed, it won't be a tear of deep sadness. It'll be a, a tear of, this was great. I mean, this was so great. I'll, I'll miss it, so I'm a little tearful, but I'm not like gonna cry all night. This is just a tear of, of, uh, of happiness mainly. And so that's what I want the students to know. They're usually so worried about the great unknown, but every phase of life can and, and should be great. That's what, we, that's what we hope for all of you. That's some great advice I think I needed to hear, especially there's, there's gonna be some tears for me on graduation day, I already know it, but excited tears too for what's to come in the future. Once a Gamecock, always a Gamecock. So it's, it's not a goodbye. That's what, that's what I'm telling myself. Right. What about you, Mrs. Pastides? Well, Emily, you know, I think I've reached the stage of my life where I've stopped the desire to acquire things so much. And I've stopped running around in pursuit of happiness. And what I've discovered is that most of what is most valuable to me in my life comes from looking within, you know, to take the time to really meditate and to connect with that core of who I am as a person and that core of where the goodness comes from, not just for me, but for our whole universe, you know, and I think um, it by doing by 
by having a practice of meditation and in combination with a practice of eating well and a practice of stress management and a practice of exercise, I just, I feel like I can be more centered and present to my life. And I was talking to a friend today and she's my age. And she said, gee, I hate to call my friends anymore because everybody talks about their problems, <laughs> you know, their illnesses or their COVID related things or their concerns over their adult children or this or that. And, and I said, you know, we, we have to realize that we won't control what happens to us in life. The only thing we can control is how we meet it. So, you know, something bad happens and how you take that will determine, you know, how happy you are and what, what outcomes come from it. For example, our son just recently ruptured his Achilles tendon. And that's a horrible, horrible injury that has a really long recovery period. And, and one of the saddest parts of it is that he did this during, um, he's an actor, so he did this in, during his show, a show for which he had a one-year contract in New York City, which is a huge thing to have a one-year contract of a salary with benefits, and then to have this happen sort of toward, right toward the beginning of the contract. But, you know, he's got a good attitude. He, he went into it feeling like he was so physically strong, and he wants to come out of his rehab even stronger. So he's got the right positive attitude, which is very good. And I said, I, you know, what you have to realize is it's going to be a long road to recovery and there'll be good days and there'll be bad days, but there'll be gifts in there that you're not even aware of yet, right? But yeah. you have to keep those eyes open for those gifts. And in my life, the way I've been able to stay focused on the present and, and be aware and sort of in tune with the thing, with those things in life is by having this practice of meditation. So it's something I throw out there for you all to think about. Right. So, I think you're, you know, you're at a different stage of your life where you're, you know, you have to perform all the time in class and, you know, you kind of have to perform when you're with your friends, you know, so, you know, and, and I think just as you get older, you just realize that going inward to that deeper place in yourself, it, it's what has put me in touch with being able to write my feelings into poems and things like that, you know, which is very healthy for me. So I hope you'll all find something like that. I think that sounds like some great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I just want to say thank you both so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to come on today and have a chat with us. You will be dearly missed at this university. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Emily. Emily. Thank you for your leadership. You've left us a better place, a better university, and promise to keep in touch with me and Patricia always. Of course. Of course. Thank, thank you so much. Thank I know you. she's going to be my dentist one day. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, Goodbye. Maybe, thank we'll, you. May, maybe we'll go skydiving together someday. Oh. Okay. All three of us. Who's in? I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we can arrange it in the schedule. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.